Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Teaching Kindness, the Bullies Be Gone podcast, with yours truly, Nate Webb, the founder of Bullies Be Gone. Here on BBG, I go into all things kindness, bringing in guests and experts from all wakes of life. And we are all here for one reason and one reason only, to help you and your kids get over bullies, get off social media, and love your lives. So come on in and learn how to live in a world where kindness is king. I'm your host, Nate Webb. Let's get to it. What's up, everybody, and welcome back. It is great to be at BBG. Let's be honest, guys. Parenting is hard. Every kid is so different, and it's hard for us to understand our roles as parents as they change with each kid. But it's super important that we be there for our kids, that we're able to help them the best that we can. That's why I'm super happy that my guests today, Cammie and Larry Kirby, are here. They're trained facilitators of the Love and Logic curricula, and they help parents create joy as they understand their roles with their children. If you're a parent and you have some strong-willed kids, you probably want to give this one a listen. But first, got to pay the bills. We are back. So I'm super excited for our episode we got today. My guests today are Cammie and Larry Kirby. They're speakers, parenting coaches who help parents understand their roles with children. As independent facilitators of the Love and Logic curricula, they teach effective, practical, and proven parenting techniques that parents can use right away. They're amazing people, and they're the authors of the Master Your Emotions web series. And I'm so grateful that they're here today. Welcome to the show, y'all. How are you doing? Hey, good to see you. Good to be here. Yeah, so good to be here. 2021, baby. We're yeah, here. man. Heck yeah. <laughs> I know. First recording of the of the new year. Um, where are you guys coming at us from? We are in the nice, warm Arizona. So if this airs when it's still winter everywhere else, come. Well, don't come visit us because we have COVID really bad. But we're enjoying the weather at least. There we go. Riddled with COVID. Where in, where in Arizona are you guys? Um, we are in Mesa. Okay. I know Mesa. I used to have family in Mesa. Mesa Gilbert. So. Just right yeah. out of Phoenix. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Nice and warm. Roasty toasty. I would say it's like shorts weather, but like it's always shorts weather for me. So it's fine. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those people. So, all right. So tell us, how did you end up in this space? You guys are out here helping parents, doing web series, doing love and logic. It's not like you just started there. How did you end up in this space? Well, that's a great question. Larry, you wanna? You, you know, I uh, I came from um, like everyone else, an opportunity for growth, childhood, and uh, you know, it, it took me a while to kind of work through and just figure out. Being the youngest of ten, uh, dad left when I was nine, and uh, it just it, it left an opportunity to uh to just realize there there's not a lot of bonding and connecting going on and right. so kind of dealing with my own growing up um and and you know my mom did the best she possibly could she's absolutely amazing and i'm so grateful for all that she did but you know when my dad left so did she because she had to go back to work right and, and she didn't necessarily have the tools to to raise us um and she again she did the best she could and so growing up, because I was raised by a helicopter mom and, and because um, of, of how I was raised, man, I had to deal with a lot of stuff in my 20s and 30s. Um, again, nothing against my sweet mother. Uh, just a quick example, you know, even, even learning how to solve my own problems. 
you know, she was always there to solve my problems for me, which at the time was great. I loved it. You know, who doesn't in high school want a mom that's there to solve their own problems? Right, right, right. Um, and, and so, but the end result is eventually me learning how to do it, but when the price tag is a lot higher. Right. And so, you know, growing up, seeing that and seeing everything that happened in my own family, I, I just fell in love with working with kids. I fell in love with the family unit and, and how with just a few tools and doing things strategically different can have such a big uh, outcome. You know, my heart goes out to, to single moms, seeing everything that, that my mom went through and seeing everything that my brothers and sisters put her through. You know, it, it would have been, if she would have had the tools that we teach, that we've learned from other people, her life would have been different. It would have been easier. It would have been more enjoyable. Yeah. Granted, I was the perfect kid. It was all my siblings that were creating problems. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think, too, once we became parents, um, we knew that we wanted our focus to be figuring out um, a more effective way. I came from a home, too, that was kind of parents. My parents were awesome. They did, but the best they knew or they did the best they could, which I think all of us do with what they knew. Right. And, you know, when I was about 14, they got a divorce and, and I was like, okay, if we're going to do this, if we're going to have the kids, we're going to, we're going to figure out something more effective. And so, and then our, you know, our first came to us and he was that super strong and intense and you know i call him strong my, my warrior spirit strong child. will so it's, it's funny <laughs> i had this idea of how my kids were going to be and when they shattered that you know dream of what i thought they were going to be and not in a bad way but it, you know it, i just like learning how okay so how does this look how do i be the kind of parent they need not the parent necessarily that I thought I wanted to be, but the parent that they need and navigating that and really, um, you know, strengthening the home and families and um, parents and kids and relationships is just something that we've fallen in love with over the years as we've worked through our own things and we've worked with other families and it's become, um, it's just really fun. So, yeah. You know, and just to that, our journey with having a strong-willed kid, um, we found tools that worked. And right. we were so excited about how well they worked. You know, success leaves clues. I don't think there's a, something that a parent can go through that another parent already has. And so we had to go through a lot of books to find it. We had to attend yeah. a lot of seminars to find it. But once we found some general concepts and principles that worked, you know, we've been able to help tens of thousands of people um, because of the clues that other people left us. Yeah. You know, we're not smart. We're not coming up with any <laughs> great ideas. We're just studying those that have come before us and those that have had a lot of success. Yeah. Well, and I truly believe that the answer to every question lies within the skin of the person that has that question. Yep. And so it's like, yeah, parenting doesn't come with a manual, but there's all these clues and resources and mentors and people yep. to help you find the tools that only you know how to implement the best because nobody knows and loves your kids better than you. And right. so that's, that's a really powerful place to come from as a parent. Like you are the best person for your kid. Why? Oof. Because they're yours. Oof. I, okay. Everybody, everybody, one more time for people in the back. You would say that again. Say that again. You are the best parent for your child. Amen. <laughs> because they're yours guys. 
I think there's yeah. so many parents that are overwhelmed by just the sheer wow. number of re I mean, resources, but people out there kind of telling them what to do, whether it be some random page on Instagram, whether it be something on Facebook, whether it be some YouTube video, whether it be some person in relief society at church that told them that they shouldn't be letting them sleep that long because they're too young or whatever it may be. And they're like, I don't know what to do. It's like, you're going to be fine. You're the perfect parent for your kid because they're yours. Oh, I love that. So a big part of what you guys do um, you help parents to help their kids to take ownership of their problems. Um, I mean, this is a huge issue for kids these days because a lot of us parents um, have, I mean, we, we got helicopter parents, right? That we talked about earlier. They, they swoop in and they take care of the problems for us. I feel like my generation, we've gone past helicopter parenting and we're, we're into snowplow parenting Yes. where we just bam. It's like problem. I'm going to kill you. Why? How dare you touch my offspring? And it's like, whoa, (laughs) easy there. Pop. But yeah. And, and it's a huge issue. Um, and their parents are just plowing right through their own problems and they don't know how to deal with them. So how on earth can we help reverse this? How can we help kids to own their problems instead of just waiting for someone to mow them right over? I think it starts with first mindset. The mindset is most important because if we live a life of not wanting our kids to make mistakes, we will always want to intervene. Mm. And so that shift of going from not only do I know my child will make mistakes and needs to make mistakes to grow, I want them to make mistakes when the price tag is young because I have faith in this process yes. and I know it will make them a stronger person. And, and I can be here as a coach along the way. I don't have to just leave them stranded in the woods. Like I can be by their side to be a coach and a help. But really, if I don't want a boomerang kid, <laughs> If I want a kid that's going to help our nation and our world get out of its current problems, I have got to raise a problem solver. Yes. And I am not going to do that by jumping in every time. Because if you think about it, anytime we jump in and solve a kid's problems for them, what is it we're really communicating? I don't trust you and I don't have faith in you. Yeah. I don't have faith in you. I don't trust you. You're too much of an, you know, whatever to figure this out. (laughs) So I better take care of it. Can I I also, and one thing too, parents that constantly solve their kids' problems are getting a payoff and, and it's, it's kind of a sick payoff, but. Well, you know, let's not shame it because really it comes from a place of love. Absolutely. absolutely. It comes from a place of love. But it's when, when parents help their kids or solve their kids' problem, there's a false sense of, man, I just did something great for this kid. There's a false sense of my kid needs me. There's a false sense of I'm important, which you are important. Okay, but let's, we all want to feel important. And I think we all do get a lot of joy out of like, I created this human and oh, look at, they're just like, you know, there is a choice, but, but it's like, we got to see further than that. We We feel like we're doing them a bigger favor when we're doing them a disservice. Yes. Yes. Um, so I love that. So first starts with mindset, guys. Le- like looking forward to the failure, especially when the price tag is small. I mean, when it's when there's not much to it, when your kid's freaking out because he can't get the all oh, those, those games where you put the shapes in and the timer's going and it's about oh, to blow. Yeah. Um, and they're like, I can't get this square in. I'm like, oh my gosh, I just want to put it in for you. But no. Is it called perfection? That game? Yeah, perfection. Yeah. But yeah, letting your kids fail, watching them fail, letting them figure it out. I mean. 
I, I, even with my kid, heck, I only have a two-year-old and a two-month-old. And I'm like, and he starts like, starts getting all stressed out. I'm like, just let him do it. Just let him do it. Just let him do it. Uh, can, can I also throw in one thing? You know, Sarah Blakely um, shared uh, in an interview that at their family table, there was space created to talk about how they messed up during the day and what they learned from it. Dang. And, and she said, I never had to worry about making a mistake because as our family culture was, hey, I messed up here, but this is what I learned from it. Like and that. so when we create that dinner table of, hey, guess what I learned today? I learned when you don't take the, the gas nozzle out of your car, but you just drive off, man, that hose just separates like a Lego piece. You know? <laughs> and, and when we talk about, you know, oh man, I was in such a hurry today and I left my briefcase with my notes for my meeting. Man, I uh, man, I learned that if if I have a meeting that next day, I need to put my briefcase by the door. And when we can normalize the process of learning, then kids don't have to be afraid yeah. to 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 um, make the right decision. They don't have to be afraid to try and solve their own problem because if it doesn't work, there's no shame there. That's part of the learning environment and the culture within the home. And, and they may not be afraid when the price tag is also big, like when they make a mistake and the price tag is big, you know, I have, I'm a school counselor and I've had kids coming into me talking like, Oh, I did X, Y, and Z. And I'm just scared that my mom and dad are just going to freak out. And I remember when I was a kid, I was like, Hey mom, uh, Timmy cheated on his assignment at school. <laughs> and I was listening for her to be like, Oh, Timmy, how dare he, man, he knows better than that. Or if she was like, man, I wonder what kind of pressure Timmy was going over. Like the way that we as parents respond to how our kids give hypothetical situations, they're testing the waters. They're seeing how we're going to react because they're like, all right, if I ever do that, don't tell dad, he's going to flip his lid. Um, or <laughs> wow, dad's not going to, you know, blow up because I like that. What we were talking about Sarah Blakely normalizing this process. I love it. So owning our problems though, is just half the fight. How do we help our kids to learn how to solve them? Well, we have a great process. And do you want to talk about our, our process? No, go for it, Larry. So, so um, I, I think what's helpful to most parents is having something tangible, what to say, how to say it. Um, and so there's five steps that we teach in uh, one of our courses of helping kids own and solve their own problems. And, uh, you know, when, when our, our boys, we, we mainly are Arizona people. I grew up as a small kid in California. But uh, we, were, we lived out of state for a little bit. We were visiting Arizona. And I'm laying next to my, my wife in bed. And my, our two little boys are laying on rollaways. You know, I think they're three and four, two and three, somewhere around there. And out of nowhere, my son screams. And, uh, and, I, and again, I was raised by helicopter parents. And so I had helicopter blood within me that I was slowly <laughs> starting to get let go of. Um, but it's taken a long time to implement some of the things that we teach. And so I'm about to jump out of bed and rescue my son because that's what dads do. Okay. Cause dads, dads rescue kids. Well, I'm about to get out of bed. My wife's arm comes across and stops me from getting out of bed. And it was the first time I realized my wife had mother's arm. Okay. This was the arm that, you know, stopped you from going through the windshield as a kid. Um, <laughs> this is the arm that, that, that protected you from, from everything. And she turned to me and she said, he can do this. And I knew what was going on. She knew what was going on. And uh, she turns to my son who just screamed and called him my name and, and said, Hey, what's going on? Well, what he, he was laying in his rollaway, drinking out of a water bottle. 
and gravity set in and it spilled all over his shirt. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry, man. That's not funny at all. <laughs> What's funny is that I spilled water all over me. He was at that age where he didn't want a sippy cup anymore. We'd still let him take a sippy cup to bed, but he graduated. He wanted to have a big boy water bottle and I was like, okay, you can try it out. I don't like to drink my water bottle in bed because if I'm laying down, what do you think is going to happen? He's like, I can do it. And I'm like, okay, we'll just see how it works. Like, go for it. Night, love you. <laughs> so when I heard the scream, like I had gotten to that point in practicing these skills where I was like, yes. Because then I could show up really loving and not yes that he got all wet. Like, of course I was bummed out with him. Not maliciously. Yeah, it wasn't maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. Inspector Gadget, you know. I had to reel that I told you so back and really just show up with like, dude, this is an experiment. What'd you learn here? And so I'll let, no, I'll let that, Larry That's not what she said, though. She turned to him and said, you know, hey, what's going on? I spilled water all over me. And she said, oh, man, that's a bummer. That's a bummer. And that's the first step. Empathy. Empathy is critical to open the heart and the mind to learning. She showed some empathy. And then she asked the most powerful question you can ask a kid that has a problem. And that is, what do you think you're going to do? Power statement. Write that down. That's empathy, the number step two. One. Power statement. What do you think you're going to do? And, 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 this is, um, and this is what we learned from, from Dr. Charles Fay, one of our mentors. And uh, and it was just, it just silence. And it was so awkward. And like the 10 seconds were the longest 10 seconds of my life. And I just wanted to go save my son. It was kind of like that, that scene in Finding Nemo when he's about to go through the ring of fire. I just wanted to scream like, he's just a boy. <laughs> and, uh, and finally my son said, I should probably clean it up. And she said, oh, I think that's a great idea. So he gets up, cleans up the water while we all go to bed. I wake up the next morning and I walk over and he's at the towel around the corner of the rollaway. You know, those rollaways that like fold in half where right, you right, right. Bed, just like bed shouldn't fold in half like that. Like <laughs> that should be legal. And, and there's this towel around the corner. And as I look closer, he had stuffed a whole bunch of tissue down his shirt to stop his wet shirt from touching his skin. Oh. And he looked like the little Hulk. And, and he wakes up, looks at me, Hey dad. And he's unstuffing his shirt. <laughs> And then he turns around and walks away. And I realized he's walking a little bit taller. Why? Because he solved his own problem. And I thought, man, my need to parent almost took away his opportunity to learn. Wow. My need to parent almost took away his opportunity to learn. And, and since then, we've been using these five steps with this kid. And he is a problem solver because we're using these five steps. Now, step one, empathy. Step two, um, hand the problem back. What do you think you're going to do? Step three, because more than likely your kid's going to say, oh, I don't know. You know, what do you think you're going to do? I don't know. Step three, would you like to hear what some other kids have tried? I don't want it coming from me because if it works out really well, I get the glory and I don't want the glory. But if it doesn't work out really well, I get pooped on and I don't want that either. I want it to come from other kids. Do you want to hear what some other kids have tried? Another great reason that we say, um, do you want to hear what some other kids have tried is because kids are naturally pretty egocentric. Yeah. And uh, when we say that line, there have been times that my kids, you know, and I've modified it sometimes because they love their cousins so much. And I say, do you want to hear what some of your cousins have tried? And their eyes like pop out of their head and go, wait, 
I have cousins that have gone through something like this. Yeah. Do you want to hear what they've tried? And so it's really empowering for the kids to like help them break through that, that center of ego centric right. phase that they're in to hear. Oh yeah. Other kids do have these problems. I'm not the only one. Um, so yeah. So what do you want to hear what some other kids have tried, which in the story Larry told, we didn't get to that step, which is okay. These are fluid, but we didn't get to that step because he jumped right to it. He's like, I'll figure it out. So he just ran and solved it. But if they don't know what to do, we can say, do you want to hear what some other kids have tried? Right. You know, some kids might try changing their pajamas. How would that work for you? Some kids so, might so, get a towel and dry up the water. How would that work for you? So that step four is, how is that going to work for you? It's mm. helping them see the consequence. So step three, some kids do X, Y, and Z. Step four, how is that going to work out for you? Step three, step four, how's that going to work out for you? Yeah. And, and usually I give about three or four choices of things that other kids have tried. And if I have a kid saying, no, no, I'm going to go straight to step five where I give them permission to either solve it or not solve it. Hey, man, I'm out of ideas, but if anyone can figure this out, it's you. You've got this. And, and sometimes all we need is someone to tell us, we can figure something out and not actually tell us what to do. But sometimes I also find too, a lot of times kids just need that empathy. Hey, Jimmy pushed me at school today. Man, dude, that's a bummer, man. Give me a hug. Dude, that stinks. Hey, what do you think you're going to do? Uh, I don't know. And sometimes you don't need to even have that conversation. They just need a whole lot of love. Yeah. But we're sending, that, we're sending that message in a loving way. Hey, you can figure this out. You can solve it. And, and, you know, I likened it to playing that hot potato game as a kid where you're constantly passing that potato. Well, you know, I joke around about the problem being the potato. You take the potato, the child's problem long enough to show some empathy, man, that's a bummer. And then you give that potato back. What do you think you're going to do? And, and, and the parents that are most exhausted at the end of the day, take that potato and they put it in their own backpack. Oh, you've got this project due tomorrow? Well, I guess we're going to stay up all night doing this. Oh, you got in trouble at school? Well, I guess I've got to do this. And every time you grab your children's problems slash potatoes and you put them in your backpack, you're robbing from your kids. And, stop and, taking your kids' potatoes. God. <laughs> and, and stop robbing from your kids because eventually they'll learn how to solve their own problems. But that. the price tag is never as low as it is right now. I love that, especially while it's low. So first, empathize with them. Two, hand it back to them. What are you going to do? Um, three, what would you like to hear what other kids have done? Because yeah. most of the time, they don't know what they're going to do. And then four, how's that going to work out? Then five, give them permission to solve or not solve the problem. All right, go Thank and you. do and these five steps are from Dr. Charles Fay over at the Love and Logic Institute. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, I funny, funny story, actually. Dad, if you're listening, you can skip forward about 30 seconds. Um, but so my dad, he actually, he was a Love and Logic facilitator back in like, I don't know, early 2000s, like long time ago. Like, like back in the, like, your power, my power, your choice. Um, and... <laughs> When I, I don't know that. When I first saw that y'all, I saw Love and Logic. I was like, no, um, but, <laughs> I know your tricks. Um, but uh, no, but I, I, but yeah, love Love and Logic and love all this too because it's empowering. I love what you said. Don't have your need to parent rob your child of an opportunity to learn. 
a lot of us, a lot of us, we want to feel good. I feel like parents are probably more egocentric than kids. We want to feel good. We want to uplift ourselves because we helped our little budding flower grow. They can grow on their own. We're there to help them, but they need to learn on their own. I love that. Um, I'm going to kind of call out parents a little bit here. We all say we want to be there for our kids. We all say that I want them to be comfortable telling me anything. And then, and then sometimes if they come and tell us the wrong thing, we flip our lids like we talked about earlier. Because um, we all have triggers. We all have things that bug us really bad. Um, that if our kid does that thing, oh my gosh, you better hide because that middle name's coming out. You know, Nathan Terry Webb. Uh-oh, Run run. We are not safe. No. Um, how can parents get over that? How can we get over our triggers so that we are not so explosive so that our kids can know that they can talk to us even when they mess up when the price tag is big? That is, I think that's the golden question. And this is where our emotional ownership comes in. Okay. Um, I don't have all the answers, but I know the parents have the answers of how they do that. And I think it all starts with our thoughts and that thought that our thoughts create our emotions and our emotions create our actions and our actions create our results. And so if you're familiar with thought work and you're listening to this, this sounds familiar. If this is the first time you've heard something like this, then um, reach out to me. I got some good stuff for you. But um, really when we just are reacting and there's that knee jerk reaction, that is a thought pattern usually that is so ingrained in us. It's become a belief system. We're not even aware that it's a thought. Yes. Yep. It's actually just like, we just think that it is that way. And when we start to recognize those thought patterns, um, usually they're so ingrained. It's like going skiing down a slope of, you know, I remember like the second time I went skiing, I went to this high mountaintop and I did not want to do black diamond. I wasn't quite ready for it, but all the tracks were headed down the black diamond. So even though try as I might, I was trying to hit this other course. I was like, guess we're doing black diamond today. Hope I don't die. It's a good day to die. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Back in the day when I don't even know skiing was cool back then, but it's fine. Um, so I did the black diamond, but our brains are a lot the same. We have these tracks that have gone over and over and over. And to break through those thoughts, those thought patterns that are so ingrained, um, we've got to practice. We've got to practice different thoughts. And sometimes yeah. we need a coach or um, a counselor or someone who can help us recognize these thought patterns and bring awareness, just shine a light. Right. Usually the good ones just ask us questions in our guides and we figure it out on our own right? So they shine a light on it. And then we start to unravel this big um, ball of yarn <laughs> of thoughts that we've, we've created over the years. And we start to think differently. And as we think differently, we feel differently. And as we feel differently, we act differently. Yes. So if we want to stop our knee-jerk reactions, we have got to practice thinking different thoughts. I love that. I love that. Parents, if you find yourselves having knee-jerk reactions to your kids, which if you're a human being, you do, stop lying to yourself. It's fine. Um, stop and think, you know, we need to change that thought process. We need to change that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If you, if, if, if any of us want to change anything ever, it takes a conscious effort. Stopping and thinking, 
for two seconds. Easier said than done because in those two seconds, your kid probably just got sent to his room and no longer has a number of privileges. Um, but, <laughs> because, but yeah, stop and think. I love that. So a little change of speed. Can I add to that? It, yes, Larry, go. One of the biggest struggles we have is, is, uh, is parents as we fight against reality. Yes. Oh my gosh. Situation. And so, you know, when we, when a child does something, we can either assign negative intent or positive intent. And when I assign, you know, a brother hits a, another brother, my negative intent is he's trying to hurt him. What's his problem versus positive intent of, man, he's just trying to figure something out. What's going on in his world yeah. for him to act that way? Why would he tell me no? You know, getting, getting into there, if I'm in the middle of watching a football game and uh, it's all right, time for dinner, let's go shut it off. I, even as an adult, I'm like, whoa, wait, wait, I, you know, what's going on? How dare you? Yeah, seriously. But when, but when kids are in their world playing in their imagination, it is abrupt. And, yeah. and so getting into their world of, you know what, how do they see the world right now? And there's right. a lot of different things we can do to, hey, you know, would you want to have dinner in five minutes or in 10 minutes? Mm. You know, um, little things along the way just to up the odds. So assign a positive intent and accept the reality of a situation. A five-year-old's going to do five-year-old things. Yeah. You know, a seven-year-old's going to do seven-year-old things when your five-year-old lies to you. And there's nothing wrong with it. Nope. Now, we can, we can do things to up the odds and teach them better behavior, but to embrace, like, this is two-year-olds throw fits. That's what two-year-olds do. Now what? Yep. Now what? There's nothing wrong here. This is what they no. do, and that's okay. Now what? what? What can I do to help them learn how to express their emotions and, you know, create boundaries in loving ways? But if I'm fighting in this world of it shouldn't be this way, they, and I hear this a lot, they know better. They know better. Dude, I know better. I know <laughs> McDonald's is not good for me, but here we are. Okay. <laughs> so here, it, here we are. But it is good for it me. Is. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, as human beings, we don't do everything we know we should. Right. And neither do our kids. So when I hear parents say like, I can't believe my five-year-old lied to me. Like, Really? You, you can't believe your five-year-old lied to you. Like, right. And so I'll joke around and say, man, you got issues. Like, this is serious. And, <laughs> just joking around, and I don't mean to be cynical, but they are going to lie. They are going to be disrespectful. Now what? Empathy and connection before correction. Boom. Empathy and connection before correction. I love that. So a little change of speed. This whole podcast, my whole movement, everything started when I was just giving people tips to enable bully victims and those people who feel weak. What most people don't realize is that most bullies are only bullies because of an absence of love and kindness and empathy in their lives. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, if they're exposed to love and kindness and empathy, they see that it isn't so bad. I love the things you guys talk about with love and logic. In your experience, how has the practicing of love and logic impacted the way that kids treat each other? the way that when parents employ that love and logic, have you seen any changes in the kids and how they treat each other? And could we maybe be able to use this to create more empathetic children? I would say when it, when I, I, I hesitantly say this because I've, I've met a lot of people who have used love and logic in a manipulative way where there is no love and right. where the empathy is gone and it just becomes about getting kids to do what we want them to do. And, and in those homes, I would say they're actually probably helping to create the bullies. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> you know, yes, yes, yes. What they're in the business of is manipulating their kids, not creating connection and healthy relationships and strong boundaries. Right. And when we 
lovingly. Absolutely. I would say parents who, um, more than any parenting technique, parents who seek to cultivate strong, meaningful relationships and make that a priority in their home, and parents who seek to create strong boundaries in their homes are laying the groundwork for kids to have healthy relationships. That means these kids aren't going to let people bully them or aren't going to be the bully because they feel good about themselves. They know how to solve problems. Yeah. They know, they understand empathy. And so when they see somebody hurting or someone says something mean to them, they have those tool sets to go, wow, maybe that person's having a bad day or dude, I'm not like that. I wonder what their problem is. You know, like yeah. whatever it is, they have these tools because they've seen it modeled at home. So um, if you have a kid that's being bullied or if you have a bully at home, it's not that you screwed up as a parent. It's that you have an opportunity to do these things and, and learn what this kid needs to connect and have relationships and learn boundaries. Um, so really want to reach out to parents and take away the shame of it all because that's part of life. We all want approval. We all want to fit in. And it's just part of life learning how to have these relationships. And any no matter where you're at, it's an opportunity to start creating it wherever yes, it you're is. at. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Oh, man. Thanks so much, guys. Man, this has been so good. You guys are awesome. Um, how can people find you guys? Shameless plug time. Come on. Yeah. Yes. Shameless plug. We are at parenting.rocks. R-O-C-K-S. That is our website, www.parenting.rocks. We have online classes. Um, we do one-on-one -on -one coaching. We do small group coaching. Um, and um, we have face-to-face -face classes when it's permitted right now, <laughs> but we are doing online classes as well. Um, we also work with schools. So if you are, if any school administrators are listening and you want some tools either for your parents or for your teachers, we also do these things with teachers as well. So um, on Instagram, we're at parenting.rocks and on Facebook, we're also at parenting.rocks. So there it awesome. is well there you go guys go check them out um all that's going to be in the show description um at parenting.rocks um go over and follow them go over and follow me for your daily dose of positivity at bulliesb.gun and remember you are wonderful you are worthy and you are worth it go home and give your kids an eight second hug we'll see you on the next one